Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast where we just uh, assemble excuse a film me, for the Kyle, Marvel. Excuse me, Kyle. You're the guest this week. I'm trying. I'm trying to do. The, I'm trying to do an opening. Come on, yeah, man. Yeah, but you, remember you passed the keys on to me. I'm driving today. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. I don't have to talk about Iron Man at all. No Iron Man. Well, no, probably. Not. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's, it's all. It's your show. Go ahead. Well, I, I had a, I had a whole open with Photopsia that I wanted to talk about. We're not. Gonna... You know what? We'll record that <laughs> at the end. For those of you who are very confused, we are coming back to the Marvel Movie Minute, but we have all the hosts pretty much forever. I'm Matthew Fox, and this is a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this our fourth season. Unlike the second and third that our guests had control of, this is the fourth season, which is mine, mine, mine. I mean, this is the fourth season that Andy, of course, is oversight for. We are looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Ethical Panda family of podcasts. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 61, which begins with Thor getting taken by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and ends with Eric defending science. Uh, joining us on the show today, as you may have guessed, are Kyle Olson and Rob Kubasco, both hosts of the Season 2 and Season 3 Marvel Movie Minute. Kyle, Rob, uh, you loaned us the keys. How are we doing? Crashing into trees yet? <laughs> well, I came back. It's got a new paint job. You've done detailing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've added a whole new sound system in here. I mean, like, man, you have really uh, upgraded the place. <laughs> it looks really, really nice. I mean, I like what you've done. I like the rapid yeah. fireness. I like when people, you just dive right in. It's really good. I miss I miss the meaningless cold opens, but I mean, like, you know. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I did write a, a legit song for one cold open, so maybe we'll get that some more. True. We'll that see. Yeah. Oh, but we're going to have all that and more. And, folks, we might even do something really crazy, like talk about this minute right after this moment. <laughs> yeah. It's so great having Rob and Kyle back in the fold, getting in on the conversation with us. We want you to get in the, on the conversation with us as well. Head over to our Discord server. You can get there by going to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. Click on the Discord link. It's a great place to have a conversation. We're working on really growing our Discord and uh, working on kind of developing that community. We'd love to have you there. Again, just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. Click on the Discord link. We'll see you there. So, welcome back, everybody. Now, before we get started, I have some breaking news. <gasps> I know. This is crazy. This is unprecedented. It's, it's only a week old <laughs> or so, but yeah. <laughs> get that going. I now know, and we as a collective group know now, who the utility stunt player is who played Huge Shield Agent. Oh. That's right. Last week... When we were talking about the fantastic fight between, as he's credited, huge shield agent in the script and Thor, we could not figure out who it was. And it was driving us crazy because all of the people that various sites online had credited as the person who played this character, when you look at them side by side, it's clearly not the same person. And so I happened to be scrolling through the utility stunt section on IMDb, and lo and behold, one of them, his name is Jamal Duff, has listed on IMDb next to his uh, credit as utility stunt player, he has shield guard in rain fight as an attribute to his credit. So I was like, it was so easy. If only I had looked a little harder. But there it is, Jamal Duff. 
We know who that you are. That is fantastic. I, I, <laughs> oh, the, I think only the four of us in this room can really understand the excitement you must be feeling right now because we still don't know the identity of Bloody Nose Soldier, oh. and it will haunt me. Well, and, and I no. have to say, I knew who Jamal Duff was when I read that because uh, I don't know if we're going to IMDb Mr. Jamal Duff, but we could play the ESPN game of Mr. Jamal Duff because he did play uh, at least one year for the New York Football Giants. Uh, he played about 15 games, he recorded a bunch of sacks, he was a defensive end. I'm somewhat of a huge football fan, so yeah, when you said that name, uh, he played in the uh, mid to late 90s, I believe, I think the 1996 season. So, yeah, Jamal Duff got around. He was tackling Thor, he was tackling quarterbacks, you know, he he did it all. Well, and you know, now that you say that, I may as well do the IMDb game with him because it's kind of fun because his number one on IMDb, and I'll just tell you what they are because you're not going to know who uh, what he's been in likely. It's Dodgeball, a true underdog story. He played Michelle Jones, one of the players on uh, on the uh, Nemesis team, on Ben Stiller's team. So he was one of his people. Oh, I, I did gotcha. not see that. I, I, I'm not oh, one for high art. It's It's a very funny movie. <laughs> It is a very funny movie. I like I like Dodgeball a lot. Uh, he also performed stunts in Transformers: Dark of the Moon. He played Ooh. Paul in the movie The Marine, John Cena's film, and his fourth is actually Thor, for which he uh, did, as I said, the utility stunt player in the scene. So, you know, a, a, an incredible performer, and uh, also has comedic chops. If you watch Dodgeball, it's a uh, it's a fun one to look at. So it's it's a fun movie. He also I couldn't tell you what character, what episode, but I remember the first time that I sort of recognized him when I saw his name, I was like, oh, I know that person. It's because he was also in Brooklyn Nine-Nine at one point. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. And apparently, you know, ABC Monday Night Football, but I guess we don't credit that as an <laughs> acting role, despite what some people think of NFL games. Hey, yeah, actually, you know what's interesting? <laughs> he played John Bruno in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So ah, he's he's okay. one of those uh, those Marvel crossovers who's also been uh, playing in uh, that show. So there you go, Kyle. They're they're doing the cold open in our honor. They're, they're doing this all just for us. Just, this is amazing. Just, actually, I need to tell the listeners something. I I had massive amounts of computer problems today, so Andy has been kind enough to step in and to be our kind of host and episode leader uh, for this week of episodes. And apparently, I've decided I'm just going to hang out in the back of the bus with Kyle and Rob and do everything we can to throw Andy off track. Just throw softballs. Just throw, exactly. Well, all right. So let's get the minute started. So. At the start of this minute, we have uh, we're on on Mjolnir, the hammer, and Odin's spell, the Triketra that he he whispered and uh, cast his spell onto it, uh, and it appeared for Thor in the last minute, and it disappears. It's only there long enough, apparently, for Thor to notice. Presumably, no one else can see it. I don't know. Do you all think that this is something that only Thor can see, or could anybody who happened to be looking at it see this? It, it doesn't seem to be part of the spell because we don't ever see it like when people are trying to lift it it doesn't show up again right. as if like like a deterrent yeah. like this like you know this is blocked you can't use this uh yeah so it seems to be only uh when when the camera is looking at it yeah. <laughs> well, well and, yeah. I, and i would say actually the flip side of that is as far as we can tell you know shield is doing everything they can to study this thing they've got cameras pointed at it from all directions they've, they've got now granted the everything's off the charts so maybe they just don't see it but I, I feel like if other people could see it, we would have a moment of a shield tech, like catching it out of the mm. corner of their eye on the camera or something. So I, I do think it is just Thor who can seize this. But like many things, I, I would know. agree with that because also the the sharpest eyes on that place are also looking at this hammer, and that's Hawkeye. So like if if he didn't see it, 
No, I think that's a great point, Matthew, because I was going to say, like, yeah, there's one scene we'll talk about just in a few seconds here. It's only on about seven screens all at the same time. So everybody's on it. And really, (laughs) it's only there so that Thor can see it, because the theme of this minute is Thor, you're a loser. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's yeah. But here's the question, though. Can an infrared camera pick up a magic spell? Hmm. Oh. That's that's what we really need to be talking about here. <laughs> See, well, because my question is actually going to be, why does it show up? Is, is it a level of just because Thor is able to sense that, like, something that the, the, the hammer recognizes that he's near, but that he's not worthy? Hmm. Is it that the hammer just has a wicked sense of humor and is, like, literally putting the L on its forehead? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, is it that Odin put it there to kind of remind Thor that, like, Yes, we know you're trying, but like you're not there yet. What what's going on there? Yeah, I guess it, maybe it's a uh, Asgardian based. Like if you're, there's an Asgardian in the area, because that's why it doesn't show up later on in a couple of minutes when uh, someone else, also from Asgard, tries to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Who's not Asgardian? Well, it, it, we talked. We've talked about this a little bit. How there's this weird rule with the hammer how it kind of figures i mean we've talked i I think way back in the beginning uh one of our guests brought up the fact that mjolnir kind of has a mind of its own sometimes Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like there was that comic line where even odin couldn't control that's right uh, if jason aaron is to be believed yeah right definitely has a personality right so so we're so we talked about is it kind of a sorting hat thing and it gets to decide Mm. if you're worthy or not because clearly none of the townies were worthy uh i'm sure some of them were decent people but not worthy according to Mjolnir. If, if Joseph Michael Straczynski is not worthy then I don't know who oh, is. Kyle, we are definitely best friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's well, no, I, I, I think that's a great point too because okay so the whole thing is based on it knowing that you're worthy well then it also knows whether or not you could be worthy and I think that is a wink to, to Thor oh, right there to there say you yeah you know you could this could be yours I'm still here, right? Like, right. I, I think that's sort of like more of like a passive uh, motivation for him that, yeah, you're broken now, but, you know, right. keep at it. it he, he's worthy enough to wake it up in a way right. that, like, hold my beer guy from a while ago wasn't. But I, I like that idea. It's, a, I mean, it's a frustrating spell. And I feel like, you know, we talked about how it's, it's you know, a gender-based spell, he who's worthy. Um, and I think that honestly, maybe the spell really is like when it's like whosoever shall be worthy, it's really just Thor. Like, I feel like the Thor, the spell is really just designed purely for Thor. I don't think anybody else at this point can lift it. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone else would quote be worthy according to the hammer to pick it up. I, I don't know. Not at this point, but we know that later in the MCU, mm-hmm. first of all, a number of people can't pick it up. But Steve Rogers and Vision both eventually can. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know if the spell evolves or if it's always been there, but certainly the hammer continues to test the worthiness of other people long after it's reconnected with Thor. Yeah, it's like it's like there's a there's a level of worthiness. Like you can't just be a good person. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> right. Yeah. Could Darcy lift it? Probably not. It's it's a yeah, it's such a weird thing. But anyway, here we are. Um, the shield agents, they handcuff Thor, take him away. He's clearly defeated, doesn't try to fight any of this. Uh, I mean, what do you all think that he's thinking right now? Did I mean, did seeing that Triketra, did that give him everything he needed to figure out what's going on? I mean, what's going through his head at this point? Well, I think it's the whole thing of loss. I mean, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the message of the, the great slow pullback, you know, continuing from this is that mm-hmm. message of he feels he feels like it is now out of reach. Yeah. Right. And 
and that's it. So, so he's just been defeated mentally, emotionally, physically, and he's probably never actually felt like this before. Yeah. So this is really a whole new experience for him. Um, and I really love the way that that's juxtaposed with the the big pullback of absence of mm-hmm. of connection is really well done. I, I think that's exactly it, especially because you know it, it's true of of humans. So it certainly should be true of Asgardians that. When we're trying to deny something, when we're trying to not acknowledge something or kind of repress the idea of it, when we finally have that breakthrough moment where we can't hold it back anymore, it all comes crushing in, you know? And a while ago, we heard Odin just give the most heartfelt, painful denunciation of Thor. And I felt like Thor's been trying this whole time. You know, it's that kind of moment where, like, someone tells you that someone close to you, that something terrible has happened, but you're just not ready to believe it yet until you see the proof that you can't deny anymore. And, and, and I think that's kind of what's happening. It's the dejection. It's it's the surrender, the loss that he's never felt. But but I, in my mo- mind at least, Thor is in this moment hearing all of Odin's words all over again because for the first time he's realizing that wasn't Dad just throwing a tantrum and Mom will talk him out of it in in twelve hours. He fundamentally disappointed his father and disappointed his na- his world, and and that's just crushing to him. Yeah, at the point where he he realizes he knows nothing. Right. Yeah. Like everything that he had believed, everything he had thought up to this point, everything was about getting that hammer and then everything would be just right with the world. It would all go back to the way it was. And now, oh, yeah, the the rules have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he believed, everything he thought and everything about what he thought he was. You know, it's like that moment when like all in some ways, it's a little bit like what with Loki is going through and that all his life he has believed I am worthy. I am worthy. I am great. I am all these things. Turns out he's not. And that's just soul crushing. Obviously, as people who have been watching him over the course of the film so far, I mean, he hasn't been the greatest person. He's kind of a jerk <laughs> to a lot of the the, the staff at, at the palace and stuff like that. He's like, eh, you know, I mean, he's polite and everything to Jane and Darcy and Eric and all that. But there's there's this level of superiority that he carries. And so. I mean, it's hard for him at this particular moment, but we all recognize this as like, you know, he needs this. You really need to go through this. Sometimes, sometimes that pain is good for you. Yeah. He's the jock. He's the BMOC. And uh, suddenly now it's, it's, it's the, uh, the, you know, the star quarterback of Dow out of high school. And now, now what? Yeah, exactly. Now in the script, uh, we, we would cut to Jane and she actually, you know, had seen she heard him scream earlier and now she starts heading in to try to figure out if she can save him or something but then the searchlights are back on she hears agents with dogs searching the area and she decides to just run and and skedaddle out of there as quick as she can and i I don't think we needed that i think we're fine without cutting to her yeah i think showing her leave actually is seemed like oh that's not cool like yeah you you just abandoned him and and i think it would kind of break and the the emotional moment of what we're having here and everything's going to happen over the next couple minutes i think cutting back to jane would have really broken that up so I think that's a very wise director. It, it kind of makes sense. Like writing, you might not see it, but as a director, you realize like this is just not, this is going to break up this very important moment. I think Brenna was very smart to do that. Because what we do cut to here is this amazing, well, we go to a God's eye view, which we, we've had plenty of those in this film. It makes so much sense in context of the story we're telling here. And we cut to amazing God's eye view on a, on a crane coming out of the top of the hammer containment cube. And we see that perfect diamond shaped top it has all lit by neon. We see kind of the hamster cage and everything. And we get through there and then we cut to Heimdall's eye as he's watching from Asgard and something I had never noticed before. I don't think that you can actually see the reflection of that diamond shape in his eyeball. 
And I was just like totally taken as I was watching this, you know, uh, shot by shot to see that. And the fact that we've got that amazing Patrick Doyle score here, which is just perfect in this moment. And then we cut to Heimdall watching and seeing all of this. Uh, How did all of that moment strike all of you? Poor, underused Idris Elba. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. That's very true. But it's a great moment, though. It it really is. I mean, especially because part of what we saw before was this moment of Thor looking up to the heavens very clearly, like in in his mind, not just kind of looking to heaven the way way someone normally would, but like, or looking to the sky, but he he thinks he's looking right at Heimdall or Odin or whoever's watching. And so I thought it was a very nice kind of coda to that to see, yeah, he's looking up at Heimdall. Heimdall is looking right back. Because in some way, it's like Thor is exiled from Asgard, but he's not been forgotten. Like, it's not that, you know, he is still being watched and apparently something happened. And I don't know if that's because, like, he got close to the hammer and a little light went up on Heimdall's board and said, check in on camera 74. But, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, like, Heimdall's focused on this. It's yeah, and and then we we cut to that shot behind his helmet, and he's we see the nebulas of space behind him, and the camera keeps moving back to reveal him standing at the observatory uh, opening, looking out into space. Uh, it, it's such an interesting moment, and what struck me as I looked at it this time is like there was an interesting comparison that I never really thought about, but with Heimdall and the Watcher, that Heimdall mm-hmm. has this amazing vision, and he can watch all of the nine realms anytime he wants, but he's not he doesn't do anything. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Like, he is, to a certain extent, the Watcher. He's just looking in on Thor, watching all of this stuff. Can't do anything, uh, even if he wants to. And it's it's just an interesting perspective to have with this particular character. Yeah, he, he kind of ends up being the dispatcher. Like, he, you know, he's back at Central. He's watching everything. He moves people from place to place, but he never really gets involved. Yeah. 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 Until he does, you know, but at this point, it's just like he, he watches like he's the only one in Asgard who's watching Thor like, oh, man, so sorry, buddy. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, for me, part of what it reminds me of is that there's a major part of the story that we've never addressed. And it's part of not using Idris, but also not using Heimdall in that way back when there was the moment they had to ask Heimdall for permission to go with Heimdall knowing full well that his father had forbidden this. Mm-hmm. Heimdall decided to let that happen. Yeah, we never saw, and we won't ever see, like if there was any repercussions from that. You know, did Odin talk to Heimdall about that? Did Odin change Heimdall's orders? Loki is now in charge. Has Loki given Heimdall specific orders of one kind or another? So yeah, it, it's it's to me it's interesting, but it's also frustrating because I feel like you know, the misuse of Idris Elba is a huge thing, but also it's just the Heimdall character is such an interesting one that the movie unfortunately just never really dives into the way I would like. Yeah, and I think this moment really highlights that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have a better character opportunity for uh, Elba throughout the film, playing this character throughout the throughout the films. Really, it really is a is is a Marvel sort of problem. They they have a problem with their sort of mid tier. I've actually been noticing this a lot as we were watching some older stuff, and then also the newer things come out. They have a hard time developing those those middle sort of characters. Like there's a Darcy here that pops, but then for all that. In Shang-Chi, you have your primary ones, and then you have this middle section where it's like, oh, all of these people could, you could take the time to really give all these people other stuff. But, you know, then it takes away from the, the Thors of the world. Well, except now all of them are getting their own shows. We can only hope. So we'll see you <laughs> <right now. laughs> 
Well, I think is, is do you think that there's a challenge there in doing that with characters who appear in the comics versus characters who are created specifically for the films? Oh, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, they don't seem to have any problems you know, changing things dramatically. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. there's you know, as as we've seen, I I don't want to spoil any stuff if everybody's not caught up, but there's a major character that was introduced and had an 100% different origin and gender and everything uh, than uh, than we had expected, and yeah. so they didn't seem to have a problem, you know, making those kind of changes. So I don't know that they're they're that beholden. They're just sort of sitting back and and waiting to see what works, what people respond to. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, it's like, what would, I guess the question is like, what would they do with Heimdall as a character otherwise? I mean, if it, if it wasn't Idris Elba, would we be saying any of this? I think so. I mean, because a lot can be said for the Warriors 3, uh, and they don't have much more screen time than, than Heimdall does. And then, and then, <laughs> or you get the ultimate disrespect of Thor Ragnarok. But, um, the, but there's, there's a lot of, of these ones. I think, and I'm not saying like they need to be like have Jane Foster levels of, of t- of screen time, but I think a lot can be done with a little. I mean, you can you can do small things. I mean, you know, to, to go wild, say Tarantino is really good at this in this particular case. Like, he's good at like taking a character and giving them three or four lines, and it you you get this idea that there's oh there's a whole other world. Like this person has a whole other thing going on. Yeah, and I don't think that Marvel really takes the time to develop that stuff because they're all about getting the heroes over. And and in a movie like this, it makes total sense because you have to do a lot of heavy lifting to get Thor over, uh, you know, but it's sort of, that's what makes it from a, 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 like a pretty good thing up into like sort of a, a great, you know, comic movie, we'll say comic movie. Like, I think, they, yeah, I think yeah. that let's say Captain America, first Avenger, I think does a better job of, of taking the second tier characters and elevating them right. than Thor does. Although I would say that part of part of the problem with Thor is there are so many second tier characters because True. we do get I I think both Darcy and Eric Selvig are fantastic second level characters who get yeah you know, to the point where like I am now actively fighting for the Jimmy Woo and Darcy show oh my um, God, yes. you know <laughs> uh, but yeah but I do think you're right I think I think Heimdall in particular seems to be the one who is just very underserved and it, it's just too bad because it's not even that as much that I want to know. Heimdall's particular, you know, thoughts and motivations, so I would, Mm -hmm. but it's also, he played a major part in this event that has so shaken everything. Yeah. I, I, and maybe, I mean, Odin was so busy dealing with his son that, that maybe it just didn't get around to doing it, but you kind of want to know, like, what, what's the fallout from Heimdall's role and all that, because Heimdall is playing a major role in everything going forward. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you then, uh, and I promise we're going to get off of this moment and move into uh, Puente Antiguo <laughs> here in a second, but I have a question now that you said that. In the script, when Heimdall sees what is happening and he's looking down at Thor, after he sees this, he lowers his head. Mm. Would that have changed anything for you, just given that one little move- moment of of Heimdall as a sense that he's reacting in some way to the consequences of his own actions. I absolutely. I think that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. And I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not belaboring this point again. <laughs> but uh, the I remember reading um, 
the review of Star Wars by Roger Ebert when it first came out. Star Wars A New Hope when it came out. And he said, there's a moment where there's a giant hairy guy walking down the down thing. He's, he's pretending to be a thing. And a little robot comes up and chirps at him. And he roars at it and it rolls away. And he said, in that moment, I knew this was going to be an epic. Because the director was so confident that he took the time to do this dumb little joke that was completely <laughs> in-world. Like, it didn't violate anything. Like, it was an actual thing. And just, like, to have that go, yeah, that's pretty funny. Let's just keep that in there. And he's like, at that point, I knew Star Wars was, like, nothing we'd seen before. And I think that is what makes the big difference. It's the little moments that put it over. I mean, a lot of people can do big spectacle, and they can do explosions and, and find it. But it's when you can also, in the quiet moments have that just take the couple seconds a couple minutes to just make that small movement small changes just those little bits do it brando's really good at that i mean like he's he's he but he's operating on a much bigger scale so i think he's he's seeing the entire stage whereas like everyone else is just like what's tom hiddleston doing yeah well i think that's also what i think makes this powerful with him not doing that and again i think this is uh uh, the directorial decision you, first of all, you get the answer to your question. Thor is the only one who can see the symbol on on the hammer because Heimdall can see this, but you immediately realize no one else can see what he's seeing. Right. So mm-hmm. there is things that people can only see only for their eyes. Yeah. And two, I love the whole pullback because that could be um, very a cliched moment where, you know, maybe his eye would well up with a tear. No, it doesn't well up with a tear. Why? It's not because he's sad for Thor. He's witnessing what he knows is a necessary moment for Thor to suffer so that Thor can become the person that he's supposed to be. Mm. And I actually think that when you do the pullback on this, this scene is incredibly powerful because it's Heimdall just going, yeah, and this and this too shall pass. Right. Like, Uh okay, this is what's going to have to happen because I know what I I can envision what he can be. This is what we got to go through. So. This is spectacular. Yeah. One of the ultimate pullback shots in, in movie history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Men in Black is the only one I can think of that also goes quite as big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, like right. One small thing up and up and up and up yeah. and up and up. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's a, a good point there, Rob. Uh, it, and it's interesting because, I mean, as we've said also on this show, that if Thor isn't going through any of this, then he's essentially the what-if party Thor. And he right. needs right. to go through this entire process in order yeah. to become the Thor that we all know and love. Because otherwise, we aren't going to no one we're not going to like him uh he just won't be good for asgard and so that's an interesting perspective that i mean certainly heimdall has some uh cause uh to feel guilty for having you know contributed to thor being in this particular situation but i do like your perspective of him saying you know what this might be what he needs yeah. And as you bring up Party Thor, this will move us along off of this <laughs> point. Um, it wasn't until actually that episode I realized how vulnerable Thor was. Like, I, I sort of had not really considered the fact that he was mortal, like, mortal, like, in, like mm-hmm. you know, small M, mortal. Uh, and that we see you know, in that episode, he's killed by a mortal weapon. You know, later on, obviously, in, in this movie. He has something like that, but it's it's something of godlike power that does it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I like it. Never really. It's it sort of now when I go back and watch it, I'm thinking about that. So like, I'm like, oh yeah, he's just like a regular guy. Like he can get yeah. by a car. Right. Yeah. Like it really. I, I had never really. That had not clicked for me uh, the first couple times I had watched it, but now having seen that and going back, it really makes me see how vulnerable he is in in every way, emotionally yeah. and physically. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I think exactly. that's a great point, and not to go backward, but I think it also ties in what Rob was saying about. <laughs> Because Heimdall may well know 
that this is necessary for Thor. But certainly, I think, and, and this is why I do wish we got more of Heim, Heimdall and Odin. Mm. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm completely convinced that Odin doesn't know that. I think Odin hopes that's going to happen. But Odin does not have the confidence that, that we're talking about that Heimdall might have of this too will pass. And so, yeah, it's it's because, yeah, I mean, he put Thor in a situation where Thor could very likely, I mean, Thor could very likely not become worthy but he also just could get killed because he's an idiot before he gets a chance to become worthy, <laughs> yeah. you know? And that's, that, that's something that, that's definitely happening here. Yeah, right. Very, very uh, dangerous, this world of mortals. And speaking of the world of mortals, uh, let's take uh, our, our turn. We'll go back to Puente Antiguo. As the film returns there, we've got a fantastic Dutch angle return to the streets of Puente Antiguo. We see the gas sign glowing in neon on the right, the Smith Motors glowing in neon on the left. Wet streets everywhere and southwest.com billboard right smack dab in the middle. <laughs> Product place, <laughs> right. There it is. There it is. And we come in right on the middle of Jane and Eric arguing about this whole thing of rescuing Thor. Eric says he's in jail. Is that an assumption of his based on what he knows about S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or is that just kind of the the uh, easy way to say what's kind of happening to him at this point? Because, I mean, we know Eric knows more about S.H.I.E.L.D. than uh, either Jane or Darcy. I mean, I, to my mind, it's we saw law enforcement people handcuff him. So like saying he's in jail to me is kind of the, that, that that's the next logical step. Even if it's like, you might be sitting in the police officer's, you know, office being interrogated while you're handcuffed. To me, that's still kind of, you're in metaphorical jail, even if you're right. not physically well, in the building. There's mall jail, there's Disney jail, there's, <laughs> well, you know, shield jail. But just, the one time I was in jail, <laughs> the one time I was taken to jail, I was on a tennis court. So, you know, anything is possible. <laughs> well, just to reiterate, Jane saw Jane was watching from a hillside in the dark. She was watching the complex. She heard a guttural screen of intense like pain and just kind of uh, everything is over for me. And then and then she runs and flees. She doesn't know like I, I don't know. It, does she know he's in jail? I mean he could be dead after hearing that scream. It's it's like I'm not sure exactly I, I guess it's just a script assumption that we're just jumping into at this point. She's, She's an astronomer. She has sharp eyes. <laughs> she saw through the eyes of true love. True love, nothing can be hidden from. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. This is the romance uh, film in the MCU. Say we need a power all, yeah. ballad now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this new release, but I, God, I love this location so much. This Smith Motors. Oh. I love their little science lab with the glass 360. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's such a fun little place. It's, it's a great design, and it really yeah. – well, not so much right now, but during the day. I mean, geez, mm-hmm. those, those picture windows all around it, like they just showcase the countryside beautifully. I mean, it's just – it's really – Quite a stunning place. Um, so anyway, we're, we're coming on this fight. They're arguing and all this. And then, uh, and Jane's got her little Native American blanket wrapped around her to keep her warm after being in the rain. And then Darcy calls over after seeing Myoma uh, in <laughs> this book that uh, that Eric had, I, apparently he checked out. We saw him flipping through it. We didn't know he checked it out. Now we do. He actually checked it out because he probably saw Jane drive away and was like, well, there goes my ride. I guess I'll go back to the... Lab and so somewhere out there, a there's a Marvel one shot of him signing up for a library card. <laughs> yes, the Puente Antigua library card. I wanna... <laughs> well, you're not from around here, but I guess I can let it go. <laughs> I can see the little lady behind the desk with her little uh, webcam. Okay, get your head right there. There we go. We'll take uh-huh. the picture. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. So, you know, we, this book is a fun book. We saw it earlier in the film and we're seeing it again. We're going to read through the little bits here in a sec, but what are your two impressions of uh, this book of myths around the world that, uh, that Eric picked up at the library? Rob, what did you think of this? No, I, well, I love the, um, uh, the illustrations and I love the fact that we see more of a traditional depiction of Loki, uh, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't make a note of this. If you haven't picked up a copy of the history of the of Marvel Studios, yeah, I was just going to say that. The, so they have a huge spread of all the okay, and it's I keep saying Mjolnir. What is what is the right pronunciation? Mjolnir. 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 Why yeah. she sounds like she says meow meow. She does. She does. That's the point. That's that's, that's the Darcy joke. Yeah. Oh, is that the intention? That's, that's Darcy. Yeah. Yeah. For crying out yeah. loud. Mew, I got mew, mew. Yeah. it. even comes mew, back mew, mew. in future movie. Yeah. So, but, and, and in the, in the book, they show a tremendous amount of, of variation. So it's definitely worth checking out. But okay. I, I'm just going to pick this up. I'm just going to say this right now because, you know, I pick up weird stuff. Why at the desk that they're at? Did you notice that the desk lamp is like facing the wrong way on the table? <laughs> and I don't understand why it's on. <laughs> This There's is, an orange desk lamp. This is why that we is do like, these movie by minutes shows. It just, it, no, I mean, I have to say this. Like, the stuff I've never noticed before, I'm like, why is it there? And is it just for light reflection? I have to see. I don't understand. It seemed, seemed like they would have fixed it. I feel like you've just shown me that the car I've been driving this whole time is actually a convertible. Because that's a level of analysis we've not been going to yet. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No, so that so that got me. But no, but but uh, that's what I really picked up. And, and actually reading the, the book and, and going over some of this. Definitely you get that. Wow. It's incredible to see that they got to use some of those illustrations from the production from the pre-production. Yeah. So yeah. that's what you're seeing in this, which is very, very cool. That's right. I, I love that. Yeah, that. That was my thought, too. When I when I saw that, then I'm like, I'm like, I bet you that's one of the concept art that they they didn't go with. <laughs> it's fun that they they play around with that. And you know, although I, as I looked at this, I'm like, is that should I think that is weird that this version of Mjolnir that is in this book? Also has the uh, triketra on it. Like, were they that forward thinking? Like, I, yeah, that was one of those things. I'm like, huh. Odin is a is a god of habits, <laughs> right? He likes to reuse stuff over. Well, and over as again. we've seen from all, all his, of his markings that are all over everything in Asgard. Mm -hmm. So yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and we weren't gonna we weren't gonna talk about the phallus at the bottom of the hill. I mean, <laughs> because I mean, come on, everybody. What? <laughs> and when you see it. You'll know what I mean. <laughs> so, oh, well, okay. So this is well, this is what it says. And just like we saw before, we have it written in three languages. It's in English, in, in uh, Norsk, and Icelandic. The English on the Mjolnir page says, and this is great, Mjolnir, or that which smashes, which <laughs> is just fantastic, is the hammer carried by Thor, the god of thunder. Odin, king of the Norse gods, ordered the dwarves to create Mjolnir. Okay, mm -hmm. we... That's mm -hmm. check that one off the list. The blacksmiths use the core of a star as a mold. Okay, I didn't know they used it as a mold, but great. Uh, in the process, True. the star exploded and almost took Earth with it. Did it? <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't aware <laughs> of that. Interesting note. Although powerful, the hammer also holds several magic spells from Odin. Well, we know it has one. Are we meant to assume like the lightning and thunder and all the rest of it are spells that Odin cast on it? I thought maybe like the the flying because the flying is not really part of the lightning or the thunder that like you throw it and it comes back. I thought that was part of the yeah yeah magic the spell mm -hmm. right. 
So I have to say, I did kind of a deep dive on this when I when I first found out I was going to be doing this minute by minute. I watched the whole movie, and this was something I went into a deep dive about because, as we talked about before, uh, I, I've read a lot about the Norse mythology, and I've also spent a lot of time with people who are practitioners of the religion that continues to live to this day. Uh, it's a branch of neo-paganism, you know, that worships the the Asgardian gods, uh, Asatru, and. This is not at all the story that's told either in those current <laughs> versions or in the Norse or in the Norse myths themselves. And, and at first, I was kind of curious about this, and I was wondering if this, you know, given that this is like here, they're not going to the comic book history; they're trying to show like the ancient history, the Norse history. Why did they change it so much? And and were people bothered by that? Do the people who really care about this? And and at first, I thought they would, but when I went came to realize was the exact opposite. And I, I, I checked in with some of my like priest and priestess friends who kind of echo this and said this was something that was talked about when the movie came out, which was that in some ways, them changing the myth this much was a way of saying, look, this is not our real world. And in the real world, we're not saying that your religion and these and these national myths were the creation of God or creation of aliens. We're saying in this version of the world, which is a little bit different, and and to the people who actually really took these stories seriously as their, their the mythology that they look to, either as just you know national history or religion, that that was actually very important. So I said that was a really like, kind of cool thing, and I have no idea if that was intentional or not, but it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see the 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 outer results of uh, this story being changed rather significantly. Uh, We we talked a while back about the actual origins of Mjolnir in the the mythology, at least, and it's very different. I can't imagine that they they had those thoughts in their heads back when they were working on these comics originally, but I like to think that they were thinking of that. Well, it made me wonder, is is this written for the movie or is this idea of like the star and the almost striking out earth? Is that all buried somewhere in the comics? Does anyone know? I say, I don't remember that being in the comics at all. It was, it wasn't until much later that they started doing it. It was just like uh magic hammer. Like, I mean, I don't think they really, they didn't really get too much into that stuff until they really started digging deep into the mythology. Yeah. I'd have to go back because, well, certainly at the beginning, I mean, as, as we've said, Mjolnir was a staff lying on the ground on earth. And so uh, they never really gave, gave a whole lot of the backstory to it at the, uh, at the beginning when I was reading those comics. And so, yeah. yeah she doesn't have a whole lot of uh, bagging Mjolnir on the ground, which was a big thing in the comics for a long time. Right. No. Yeah. I th- yeah. They really seem to, uh, uh, get away from that. He, and, and then when he does strike the hammer on the ground to bring the lightning on Jotunheim, it's with mm-hmm. the, the, the base of the handle. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what he hits it with. So it's, it's kind of backwards, but, uh, anyway, just continuing this, the hammer also holds several magic spells from Odin. Well, maybe I like the flying idea. I think that would make sense. And then this is interesting. Who killed the frost giant with it? I think that's interesting because we never saw him with, uh, Mjolnir when he was fighting the Jotuns. But now I kind of want to see that. I want to see somebody draw, you know, a, a picture of Odin battling Laufey with uh, Gungnir in one hand and Mjolnir in the other. I think that would be fantastic fan art to do. Well, and this I do think is intentional because we, we did see, we literally saw Odin fr- fighting frost giants way back earlier in the movie without holding the hammer. And, and I, I, I think that's meant to be put in to say like, these are myths that might be based on real things, but as happens with myths, they're told again and again and again for hundreds of years before they're ever written down, and they're all humans trying to understand this battle of the gods and the giants that they saw, that of course they're going to get some things wrong. 
Yeah, eventually. And and things get changed because even this last thing, next thing, much later, Mjolnir was bestowed to Thor after proving himself worthy through many challenges. The history of Mjolnir is the history of Thor. So then that's going back to the worthiness of it. And uh, again, which, you know, this film is dealing with that. So it's interesting that that was a part of the myths. And so, yeah, I mean, to your point, and I think when we get to the, the – the, when she turns the page and it's about Loki – I think there are elements that um, likely are things that have gone through the passage of time and and through the various hands that are they're passing these myths down uh, in Midgardian history. And uh, so I don't know. I, I find it very interesting. You know, it's just like the one with the the Rainbow Bridge and how the mm-hmm. red of the rainbow is actually lava that burns people's feet. You know, <laughs> like I love these bits. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, turn the page, and then we get Loki, and it says, Loki was a shapeshifter that could turn into anything he wished. He was far more spiteful, cunning, and deceitful than the other gods in Asgard, which often led him into trouble. Trouble would be created because he loved playing mean and deceitful jokes on others. Eventually, he was seen for what he was and was distrusted. His quick wit and honey tongue inevitably caused the Aesir to forgive him. The Aesir are all the, you know, the royal Asgardian family to forgive him, which left room for his role in engineering the death of the god Baldur. I was kind of surprised that we saw Balder pop up at all in this film, but there That's, he is. I think it's the first and only time Balder's ever mentioned in I, the MCU. I think it is. And I was like, I wonder if they included that just so they didn't have to, so they could kind of write him out of the MCU. <laughs> I don't know. Because I, I know at some point they said it was too complicated dealing with another sibling. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because he is Baldar is uh, a child of of Odin, and he is the he's considered the favorite of the gods, and um, he he does die in the stories. And I think Loki is sometimes connected to his death and sometimes not. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's having him as what knowing there was one more sibling involved. I mean, it could also completely change things in terms of if Odin all the time thought that Baldar was going to be king, and then it's only later that Thor is next in line but yeah that that's i've said before that i really want disney plus to make a tv show of asgardian teenagers you know and like <laughs> thor and loki and, and frigga yeah. and sif and all them in school but I mean, an animated show i think that would be great yeah so maybe balder will get him that yeah, but right. yeah I think probably not in this also, and, and he could be like kenny every episode balder dies <laughs> fantastic that's his function in ragnarok well and, and somebody will have to also have uh, a nickname for loki and they'll just call him mm. honey tongue that will be his <laughs> that will be his nickname so we have this book here um and then what what's interesting is eric is really pushing that this is all silly children's stories and jane is really pushing back that there's more to it and this idea that so i mean where where do we think that Jane is here? Is, does she think that Thor is actually Thor from these myths that she's now looking at? Or does she think that he's just a being that came down through the Einstein-Rosen bridge? Um, I mean, where, where, where are you all as far as what Jane's thinking at this point? You know what? I think she has seen – look, she is, is uh, tenacious is what you're seeing, especially in this minute and the next minute. She is looking at what she has seen, and she doesn't have an answer for it, right? Yeah, like some of like just everything that she's witnessed now, right now to this moment, and so her 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 very uh, literal scientist in her is saying, okay, go to the next. What's the next possibility? And the next, and and then this this is what this conversation is, right? That okay, well then we're gonna have to widen our options. Everything is back on the table. So yeah, I I think she is absolutely entertaining that. Yeah, I think that that she is yeah basically just 
questioning. I mean, in a way, a good scientist should. She's seen stuff that doesn't fit into her, you know, the, her worldview, you know, a week ago. Uh, things are, and so she's open to new possibilities where she wasn't before. Uh, and I, I don't think it has a lot to do with like that it's Chris Hemsworth. Uh, you know, I really think that yeah, th- there's yeah. all these kind of things that she is taking in new data and just like not wanting to close off all, all of these options that the things that could be where, where it seems like Dr. Selvig at this point uh, is strictly literalist in terms of like, no, we know what we know. And this is what we know. Uh, even though by this point, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things have happened in the MCU. In the, yeah. You in the know history. nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like there, there had been alien invasion in the nineties, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> she yeah, but, kept that quiet for the most yeah, part. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I, I, I did think Eric's actions here, though, seemed a little off base. Mm-hmm. In, in, I guess it makes sense because he did know these as his childhood stories, so it's hard for him to take them seriously. True. As well as that he's just so defensive. But, like, I mean, one thing that is quite well established and that most scientists, I think, are aware of, even if you're not like a mythologist or anthropologist, is that quite a lot of human myths are based in some sort of historical events that were then, you know, like we know that there was catastrophic flooding at a very early time in the near Middle East. And that not only, you know, Jewish mythology, but a number of religions at that time had mythology about a great flood that we can document happened to some extent. Um, not Dragons. Yeah, there's no arc, clearly. I mean, I'm not saying any of that, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, so is there anything that Eric like isn't even entertaining the possibility that maybe there is something that actually happened in our world that um, that the that could have inspired these myths? Well, but but you know, don't you think then that he's? Uh, I think what he's showing is is that his his whole c- construct of what he believes is the observable universe is so rigid mm. that it would be devastating to him right. to it not be contained only by what he thinks is true because of what he can observe well that's what i think is so interesting because i mean he is a scientist but in some way i mean put the myths aside like he's closing his mind to the possibilities of an einstein rosen bridge which is something that they have been talking about and studying exactly and the the possibility of somebody traveling through that like he seems to immediately close the door to all of that just because of this possible connection to these childhood myths that he um had it's it's interesting how quickly that closes the door for him yeah and, and just knowing where he goes too the fact that he's going to flip entirely around and uh, yeah. be, oh, the, yeah. uh, be the, uh, the argument on the other side. Yeah, be the cuckoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an interesting uh, moment. Um, do anyone have any last thoughts before we uh, kind of close shop on this particular minute? I, I, I just want to add one quick thing about Balder that has nothing to do with this, but it's fascinating, <laughs> and I, just, uh, I checked my notes on it. Um, is his, it the Sprig of Holly thing? Yeah, his death is, is yeah, quite I known because he's kind of an Achilles figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so beloved that his mother, Frigga, made everything in the world promise not to harm him. But mistletoe was so young at the time and thought it was unimportant that mistletoe was not asked to make the vow and then mistletoe was involved in his death through through some machinations by loki and so i just i just kind of love that that like it it it, it's a ridiculous little part of the story but it's also Mm -hmm. it's very similar to you know the achilles story of that one little thing that's the only thing can harm you of course is the thing that winds up harming you did did he get kissed to death what what happened? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure. She, so she asked not just like all the people, but she asked all the plants and animals and everything. Like, oh, okay, algae, 
no harming my son. And it was like Snow yeah. White just walking through the world, everything like that's Aww. crazy. And but but yeah. oh, but mistletoe, you're too young. I... It, yeah, it's 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 poisonous. <laughs> oh, and I, mm-hmm. Loki makes a spear or in some versions an arrow out of the the mistletoe, uh, the holly. Jeez, wow. Which, mm-hmm. right. I mean, hey, if you want a story, I mean, one thing myth, myths did was use the myths to convince people of things. He, this is a story told to kids so they remember, don't eat the berries right. from the mistletoe. Yeah, you killed Balder, it could kill you yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The kissing thing comes later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, I don't know if this is because I have stepped down uh, or because because I'm doing that, I'm talking much more, or Kyle and Rob, you're just keeping me in the back of the bus. But this is, I think, the longest episode we've yet had this season. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's a good time to wrap up. But uh, Kyle, Rob, if people want to hear more of you, obviously we have two full seasons of Marvel Movie Minute. They should check out. But if people want to know what you're doing these days, uh, where should they look? Well, I just lurk. I just lurk around Saturday matinee. So, I mean, if you if you listen to... You know, the next real Saturday matinee, I'm there trolling as usual. That's awesome. all. Uh, yeah, my show, I, same thing. I, I show up on uh, SatMat every once in a while. Uh, and then uh, and my show is the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society, which is an audio drama adventure podcast. Uh, we've just wrapped up our third season. Uh, the Christmas episode should be dropping at probably about the time that this is coming on. Uh, and so we'll be we'll come back in the uh, next year with some brand new stuff. But uh, it's a good time to jump in. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely check out all the things they, they're doing there. Check out the earlier seasons of Marvel Movie Minute. Uh, thank you to both of you. It's going to be a really fun week having you on. Andy, thank you so much, especially for taking the lead while I am uh, was under the weather computer-wise. And to everybody, have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 